Hello, and welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late El Emanuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. In this episode, El Emanuel takes a bemused browse through an old and exquisitely written guide to sailors in Newfoundland waters. Now, this isn't a person. It's a book. It's a compilation of directions noted by mariners from Captain Cook to masters of all kinds of vessels at the end of the 19th century, directions that you could still follow today and come safely to harbor. My copy, given me by my father who first went to sea in the late 19th century, is battered and sea-stained. It was published by the British Admiralty in 1897, the third edition compiled by J. R. H. Macfarlane, who set out to assemble a simple, direct, and as near as humanly possible, infallible guide to our coast. This was accomplished with astonishing clarity, poetic rhythm, and what I can't help thinking of as elegant economy of speech. I give you first my favorite entry. St. Shots is an open, exposed cove where a few families reside on its eastern side and are always ready to assist the shipwrecked and distressed mariner. A melancholy interest is attached to St. Shots on account of the many shipwrecks which have taken place in its vicinity. It is seldom that a year passes without a wreck taking place in the neighborhood, and in most cases these wrecks have occurred during foggy weather with a neglect of the use of the lead and a want of attention to the ordinary set of the currents. And another entry which concerns fleur-de-lis. There is never any sea at this anchorage, but after a strong breeze from the north round by east, the sea breaks with fury on the outer coast, while the foam stretches across the entrance, looking like breakers. This phenomenon has been observed to follow a northerly gale at an interval of one day, after the wind has completely fallen, when the sea rose in one hour. In many places, the naval gentlemen who compiled the pilot apparently believed that houses, churches, and trees stood eternal. Listen to this. Entering Fortune Harbor, care should be taken when turning around Sweening Island to shut in the house with the diamond on the door at Davis Point with the east end of Sutton Island. Another direction. The Episcopal Church with a square tower and a Roman Catholic Church with a spire on the dividing point of the bends of the harbor and westward a barn on the north shore opens east of a shoal around which a safe passage may be made by keeping the north shore aboard. Ships passing Fox Island are informed that on the western slope is a large pine tree that towers considerably above the rest of the woods and shows conspicuously from the eastward. And on Goat Island there is a remarkable tree, 108 feet high above water, and no passage for a stranger. No passage for a stranger. I can't tell you how many times that ominous but evocative phrase occurs. How much of the history of our province is buried in these words? In famished gut, beware of a rock called Winging near Shag Roost, not far from Sly Boots. And come by chance, harbor gives anchorage for lesser vessels, but it must be borne in mind that the water shoals rapidly off Molasses Point. 
Famished Gut, Molasses Point, Bare Need, Sweet Bay and Bloody Bay and Damnable Bay, Angel Harbor and Civil Cove and Isis Cove are all part of the litany of names along our Newfoundland coast. Montjambe becomes Mose Ambrose, and Bande de la Herrier becomes Bellorum, and everyone knows of the wanderings of Bay d'Espoir, from hope to despair, and now back to hope again. Bellorum, incidentally, has an iron head rising perpendicular from the sea, and to the east a semicircular beach forms a snug harbor for large vessels. Could anything be more succinct? Another entry. Small vessels should be careful not to leave Little River when the wind is up against the tide, as a confused sea soon gets up. Now, I don't know whether I'm more enamored of the confused sea or the bone-clean prose which tells me perfectly what I, a sailor, should know. Naked man dries at three feet at low water. Old man is a peaked hill where for about two hours near noon, if the sun is shining, a shadow on the cliff forms a curious resemblance to the figure of a man. Heartsease is a long, narrow inlet. A hundred feet up the hill over it is a church in the form of a large, ordinary house, isolated and conspicuous. Never before did I understand the vast difference in meaning between the word remarkable and the word conspicuous. Off Cape Anguil, the coast curves back. The tops of the cliffs are densely wooded, as are also the slopes of the mountains behind, and during spring months, waterfalls mark the mouths of several gullies. At the entrance to some of the gullies there are small clusters of rude huts which are used by fishermen temporarily living there during the summer months. A narrow bush trail, originally for the benefit of persons shipwrecked on this inhospitable coast, runs parallel with the cliffs and connects to Ship Cove. Now my particular piece of coast is described this way. Northwest winds, blowing with strength, throw a heavy sea on this shore, and during these periods, landing with safety is almost impossible, except in a few places where there is a little indifferent shelter. The large quantity of driftwood along the whole coast is suggestive evidence of the violence with which this sea rails on the shore. Such were the directions to mariners, and so they were used until 1952, when a new edition of the pilot was issued. Mariners also had charts marking shoals, lighthouses, and aids to sailors. However, they were warned that instead of considering a coast to be clear unless it be shown to be foul, the contrary should be assumed, and that the ten-fathom line is often on rocky shores. Furthermore, it is manifestly impossible that any reliance can be placed on boys always maintaining their exact position nor can the lights shown by gas boys be implicitly relied on, as, if occulting, the apparatus may get out of order. This pilot has what Joseph Conrad called the clearness, precision, and beauty of perfected speech, created by simple men with keen eyes for the real aspect of the things they see in their trade. To me, it is poetry, full of lovely images, haunting and beautiful. Someone should put it to music. Years after Ella wrote this piece, the 1897 pilot was reprinted by the British Library. It is now included under their catalogue heading Fiction and Prose Literature, a most appropriate recognition of the elegance of its language. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel 
from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the Voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. Thanks for listening. And tune in to the next episode, in which an old friend tells Ella how his attempt to reach home on the Labrador shore was stymied when he became a virtual prisoner on a round-the-island voyage.